All right. Brother Batiste, he has a had a real low singing voice, and he would. It's it's interesting how that relationships and uh, acquaintances kind of come and go, and for no real apparent reason. You know what I'm saying? Uh, sometimes I don't know what happened as far as the relationship goes. Maybe it's just too far to drive from Oklahoma to Western Kentucky. But uh, like I said, I don't know what happened there. But uh, he was coming up around. Brother Hall invited him to several of our meetings. Brother Williamson would have him up to his meetings there for a little while, and he would sing "Rainbow of Love." <laughs> and he'd sing it kind of like J.D. Sumner, "Rainbow," and he'd read that later. So anyway. He had, uh, so that, that song there, that way down on that last, way down, way down. <laughs> That's about as far as I can go. <laughs> but Brother Batiste can get a lot farther. And uh, so, good brother, down in the right city area. There's another, I seen, I seen word to him just a, a few, I don't know, about a year or so ago. Uh, another preacher I know from over in North Carolina preached a meeting, and they stayed down there, and of course they, they're, their accommodations in Wright City was not even what we get at the Mangostine. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, it was, it was uh, an old house, and and uh, one thing or another, there's was, was appreciative for it. And, and uh, But anyway, I've seen the pictures. But I appreciate Brother Batiste and, and just the time that I got to know him in years gone by. All right, Ephesians chapter number 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to read down through 14, from 10, 10 to 14. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, because of 10 through 12, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand. So we got withstand in 13, stand in 13, and stand at the beginning of 14. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank and praise you, Lord, for this another opportunity to stand before you and, and to proclaim the word of God. And Lord, as we look into this next uh, portion of the armor of God, I pray that we'll get a hold of it and we will ensure that we have these pieces upon us. And uh, Lord, that we'll, we will be able to withstand the devil. And we will be able to stand and resist the devil so that he may flee from us. And Lord... I know that as David faced Goliath, even though he trusted you, I'm sure it was a fearful thing. And Lord, there's times we get in the battle and we trust in you to deliver us from the battle. But Lord, as the the lions are roaring and the enemy seems fierce, it is a fearful time. Lord, you know what we face. Lord, help us, dear God, to face it with faith and not fear. Amen. I ask and pray that you would help us to stand. We pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen and amen. amen. All right, so 
again, we've dealt with the stand uh, a, a little bit, you know, along those lines. Uh, we've mentioned standing, we've mentioned resisting the devil, and that's what withstand means there in verse number uh, 12. Uh, no, 13, withstand, there, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And I, I made an uh, example of that this morning. It's not just taking a stand like I'm doing now. It's a stance of resistance. And then not only resistance, you know, there is a... And, and that's, that's what Peter tells us to do, to resist the devil, and he will flee from us. And, and so that's standing in resistance, but it's almost, and it's also, you know, in taking a stance in resistance, uh, it's also a stance of pushing back. You know, pushing forward and pushing back, pushing against something. You know, Brother Hall, being a combat veteran in Vietnam, he has a saying, and I, I have in my other Bible uh, several sayings of, Preachers, some preachers gone by that just kind of helped me out. Just those little, those little nuggets of, you know, that, that preachers put out. And one of the things, Brother Hall, being that combat veteran, uh, uh, he, he said, if you can't advance <laughs> in the warfare, if you can't advance, if you can't advance, dig in and hold your ground. You know, we don't want to give any ground backwards. And when we can't move forwards, let's just stand. Let's withstand. You know, it's a pushback even though we're not going forward and even though we're not, we don't want to go back. It's, we don't want to go back. We're just taking that stand so that we, we gain ground in our spiritual life that we don't go back. You see the example all through the Word of God, especially in the Old Testament, looking at the children of Israel in the book of Judges, <laughs> Primarily, I mean, that's the, the, the best book to go to because they would fall into sin. They would fall away from God. They would go back away from God. The Bible uses backslid in the Old Testament scriptures. And then they would get to a place where they would cry out unto God for a deliverer and for deliverance, and he'd send a judge. And they come in many different forms, many different personalities. But he would send a judge. The judge would lead the resistance, would push back the enemy, and they, they, would, they, would, they would follow God for a while. You know, the judge would rule for X amount of years, then the judge would die. And they would be in that kind of peace and in that kind of... Uh, a good place, if you want to put it that way, for that length of time. But then when the judge passed off the scene, then they fell back. They never continued to advance forward like they did in Joshua's day. In Joshua's day, they're, they're advancing forward. They're conquering Canaan. You know, I mean, yes, there was some problems with AI and Achan during that time. You know, and there was problems when, uh, you know, in, when they first crossed over to spy the land and and the ten come back with a bad report, and the two come back, no, we can take it. Right. You know, Caleb's like, I want that mountain. <laughs> I mean, Caleb said, look at these grapes. I mean, you know, that land flowing with milk and honey, they come back with a good report. But the other said, oh, no, we're as grasshoppers in their eyes. And um, so, 
So, but then once, you know, the 40 years was over with and all that bunch died, that was older than 20 years old, except for Joshua and Caleb, and they went in to take the land. It was an afforded advancement except for the, the one little hiccup there. But it was afforded advancement to go in and conquer the land. You know, and, in our, and we can apply the advancement into Canaan, which is represented as a spiritual life. We, you know, in the Old Testament, we can apply that to our lives in the New Testament. It's a forward advancement. It's growth in our spiritual life as we take each city, <laughs> as we conquer each battle. You know, we can look at, the, at several different... Um, Stages of growth, even in this small congregation. You know, how many years you been saved, brother? So since 50, so that's 70, 72 years. So for 72 years, brother Glenn has been saved. <laughs> 72 years, and he's, he's fought the battles. He, he's talked about the positions through the years he's held, and, and, and he's advanced in the walk that God has allowed him to walk. And then Brother Tim, I don't know what year you were saved. 85. I was saved in 81, so we're about the same time frame as far as our walk goes time-wise. Then Brother, Brother Chris, saved a few years ago, and then the newest, the newest of the bunches is here on the front row, praise God. And each of us, you know, are still, when, I, when, when Brother Glenn and his teaching or Brother Tim and his teaching or Sister Debbie and her teaching and based on their warfare and, and me and my preaching and my teaching based on my warfare to, the, to, to Brother Chris and Brother Josh and Miss Jennifer up here, they've not experienced some of the things we've experienced. They've not experienced some of the battles that we've experienced. You know, and it's encouragement to me when they get over that hump. You know, they have good jobs and uh, so on and so forth. When it, You know, I think some of the... We all have these... Um, Seems like we have God uses certain things in our lives in different ways that different different battles, different specialties, I guess. We want to look at it that way. One of the things that's been a battle that God has increased my faith in through the years has been finances. Parents divorced, thinking my dad had the answers, but coming to find out later on, it was my stepmother that had the answers when it comes to their finances. You know, but mom was a single mom. She didn't have a good, good. she never had, she never had, she, she dropped out of school. I think she later on went and got a GED, but she never had anybody to mentor her in finance. You know, and I know that she, you know, made some bad financial decisions through the years, you know that those loan sharks down at the finance company that charges 20, 30 percent interest. <laughs> you know it was it's like they 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 seen her coming. Yeah. 
And through the years, she was just always under the oppression of that. And filing bankruptcy and things like that. So I couldn't look to her for an example. And then my dad, he might have not, he had a better hold of things. Probably my stepmom, but they never set me down and said, you know, she tried with the checkbook when I was in junior high, how to balance my checkbook and so on and so forth. But, you know, as far as a lot of other things, and then, you know, having seven kids, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, trade, I wouldn't trade the world for any of them. Uh, what somebody said, uh, who was it? It was one preacher. Oh, um, I just about had it. Oh, I think it was Brother, brother Paul, uh, Maydan, North Carolina, brought Brother Paul Sisk. I think he was one of ten. And he said that my mama, my mama would tell folks, she said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade you the world for any of my children. But she said, I wouldn't give a plug nickel for another one. <laughs> so, <laughs> ten was enough for her. She, she wouldn't trade the world for any of the ten that she had, but she didn't want any more. And I kind of feel the same way, but, you know, I mean, you know, when I stand and testify of Matthew chapter 6 and God providing clothes of the space in my three-bedroom, one-bath house, and nine of us in that house, clothes was probably the, what took up the most space because people would see our family and they just immediately, they, oh, they need clothes. <laughs> okay. So I mean, we get bags at a time. We're down here at the yard sale or, you know, they're giving away clothes over here and we had clothes upon clothes upon clothes. We never went without clothes. Between hand-me-downs and yard sales and free giveaways, we had clothes. Praise God. And then I can stand and testify of times that I had to get down on my knees and pray in food. I mean, we had probably the very minimum. We wasn't going to starve to death, but it was pretty sparse in the cupboard and the cabinet and the refrigerator. And then literally having people come drive up with cans of food. Some of it was one of some of those, some of those businesses that had the, the, the dented cans and the, and the close to out of date and the just out of date cans. But I had people go and just load up. I was thinking about you, wanted to give this to you. Some of it was just plain old regular poundings where they just brought us some good groceries. <laughs> That's the non-dented cans and the non-out of date stuff. Amen. And then, you know, people just putting me into favor with people. Um, I worked with a man who was involved in the Viet, uh, the American Legion. And, uh, you know, I'd been a post commander at times, and every year they would pick out, as, and when he was post commander, he said, pick out some veterans. They had, to, they had these Christmas baskets, baskets that they put together food baskets, and they would pick out a veteran with a lot of kids. Well, I fit it. <laughs> I fit that category. So I know I'd get food baskets with hams and things like that. Kept my, and then one time, some people come over to my neighbor's house and gave them a country ham. And, of course, they're waving in for Christmas, and they're waving, thanking, the, you know, thanking them. And as soon as they got out of sight around the curve and over the hill, he just comes straight to me. He didn't even go back in with the ham. <laughs> He just comes carrying it over to us and says, we can't eat it, it's too salty. (laughs) 
we got blood pressure problems. Do, do you like country ham and like, like you know? <laughs> Does a cat have a climbing gear? Amen. So anyway, so country ham, things happen that way to me. You know, and, and just praying it in and God literally taking it in. And there's the times that just when I say, the, you know, that like the king that took those letters and laid them before the Lord and prayed over, I have literally laid bills on the couch and prayed, God, I don't have money at the end of the month to pay over these bills. But he seemed to always supply the need. And when I can stand and testify, and maybe it was just to be able to go through that in my life and to fight those battles in my life and to know that I can, like I testified of this morning, I know that there's a God in heaven. I know that I can bow on my knees, and I know that he hears me, and I know that he answers my prayer because I can stand and testify like many of the others that's been down the road and fought those same kind of battles or maybe other types of battles of, of having a having a need that you're facing before you and there's no power in your, own, in your own, no power of yourself to take care of that need and you just take it before God, you take it before God in, a, in private and he says and he, and he rewards you openly, you know, people just not knowing, just not knowing. I don't have no green, but you know, where they take it? This is not a dollar bill, man. This is a reorder form from checks. But they, it's a dollar bill size. They take that dollar bill and they fold it about like that or that $20 bill. You know, and they put it like this. <laughs> and then they just come up and say, Hello, Brother Bill. And, they, you know, and you, you feel something in that handshake and there's a little passing of the money and you don't take a look at the money. You just kind of put it in your pocket and they go on. You thank the Lord for, you know, whatever. You thank them, and then, then they get around the corner. <laughs> you pull it out and see what kind of denomination it is. I've had that happen in the grocery store. See this fellow, the same fellow that gave me $100 for that building? Same fellow that gave me the hammer and the screwdriver? Just see him in the grocery store. All right, been a while since I've seen you. Little small talk. He goes on his way of shopping. I go on my way of shopping. You know how grocery stores work. Lots of times you're going one way on the aisle, they're going the other way on the aisle. Then you go to the next aisle, it's just, and you just keep passing each other through the whole grocery store. Well, that was kind of what happened, and we kept seeing each other after we greeted each other. And somewhere about three-quarters of the way at the grocery store, he just said, <laughs> and he turns around, and he passes me a piece of money. He said, God told me to give this to you. He didn't know. God did, though. And see, I can stand and testify of that. So folks that maybe have never experienced that, and whether it's money or whether it's other issues, you can trust God. Amen. He hears you. He'll answer you. Go to Him in private. Don't tell, and, I, and there's a couple at Island Ford. I was preaching today, he was saved. She come from just apparently a, just a super-duper rough background, rough family life. She, when she first got to come to church with her then boyfriend, she didn't want to come to church. She hated God. She didn't want to be married necessarily because, she was, because of 
the examples in her family of what marriage was all about. Then when they talked about marriage, you know, she was fearful about having children. She didn't want children because, again, what she as a child experienced and all of those bad experiences of her life and her childhood, she didn't want to bring that into a marriage. But God saved her, and then God saved him, and then they got married, and they've got two girls now. And, and just to watch this type of thing in their life, because she had that mindset of, I'm going to have to... And she's already experienced it. It was a thrill to... You know, when she talked about quitting her job by faith and just trusting God, I mean, the other job. I know that you still do a little work. But, but when, when she, and Island Ford, when she... She said, and they both worked at the same place. They both worked at Carhartt. And she actually made a little bit more money than her husband. You know, being in her position that she was in. In the payroll office. And when God put it in their heart for her to quit so that they could raise children at home and that they could homeschool and, and these things like that. And she's fearful because in her mind it was by her own hand and by her own might that she was used to providing and now to trust God for it, that was fear, fear set in. And then just like the examples of my examples, to see they, they sitting on the front row right here. We always sit right there on the second row. But for them to stand, stand and testify of, of, you know, this need, this bill, and he's the only income provider anymore, and the fear of, of all that, that first fear of stepping out, but stepping out by faith, because that's what they felt that the will of God for their life was to do and to see God time and time again provide those needs and then them to testify time and time again of God just doing it again. It's just a thrill to see young soldiers, if you want to put it that way, since we're talking about the Christian armor, grow up and fight those little skirmishes and come out victorious. You know, and they come, you know, they come back going, whoo. You know, they come, it's funny. And we understand as hardened, you know, the ones that's been there a while, you know, we're, we're all decrepit. We done been fighting a battle. We done seen some serious battles. I mean, church fights, splits, and all that other mess, blood and guts on the wall. And Brother Chris goes, that stuff really happens in churches? And we're like, brother, you don't even know. Amen. We've seen it. They haven't, and hopefully never do. But they'll come in and they'll testify of what God's doing for them. You know, they're the, the little, the, the, the things that, they're coming in and they're, they're pumped and they're testifying. And we, that's been, and we've done experience all that, we get revived in seeing their growth. You know, it's like the, the general here and a couple of senior master sergeants. <laughs> Seeing the seeing the the privates of uh, the airmen coming along there, and they're experiencing some of that at the beginning. We you know we're glad to see them grow in, and and I, but here we are focused, taking upon 
Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having all to stand. That's where we got stuck on, stand. Stand therefore. So stand, resist. Push back in your stance. Don't give any ground to the devil. Push forward when you can and when you can't, dig in and hold your ground. Amen. Stand therefore. We done dealt with that. All right. Having your loins girded about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. So the first two pieces of armor is the girdle of truth. The girdle of truth. Truth or sincerity is our girdle. It was prophesied, prophesied of Christ in Isaiah 11, we'll turn and look at it, that the righteousness should be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reign. So Isaiah 11, Isaiah 11 and verse 5. Well, let's go ahead and let's see here. Let's just read one. Isaiah 11, 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. This is prophetic of Christ. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, and he shall slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. And that reins is basically another word for loins. When you look up the word loins, you have what they call the floating ribs, which is your bottom ribs. It's kind of not really attached like the upper ribs are attached to the, to the central bones. But the, the floating ribs here in the back, and from, from the bottom of the floating ribs to this section here, basically around the midsection here is your loins. And when I read that, believe it or not, there's a, when I was over in Sicily, away from my brand new wife, <laughs> I got to go into the gym, working out a little bit. Anyway, this one guy, come to find out he died at 55 years old, but this one guy, he was into that deadlifting mess. <laughs> He tried to get me involved in that, and I did it a time or two, but I said, I ain't want none of that. that. He, was, he was a big old stout guy, and he actually went into competition deadlifting. You got that bar, it's full of heavy weights, and you, 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 you bring it up to here, and then you had to get, get to there, and then you were done. You could drop the bar. But that's what you wanted to do. You didn't have to put it over your head. You just had to be, and he was lifting like 1,000 pounds. 
And I forget the heaviest I ever lifted, but I realized real quick that that was not for me. But a lot of those deadlifter guys, you know, their knees give out because they're lifting so, so much weight and one thing or another. When Brother Chris talking about maybe moving some furniture, I want to encourage you to gird up your loins physically, just like those weightlifters do. So I was thinking about that belt that those heavy weightlifters put around their, their loins. There's a big, wide leather belt. There was one that was kind of wider in the back, and it, it tapered down here on the side and had the big belt buckle. And then there was one, which I preferred, that was the same width all the way around. So I looked it up. I thought about that girding up the loins when I found that, that that's what that is. And that heavy weight... He says, with truth. Now, so apparently back in Mr. T's time, you know who that is, and there was a period of time there among bodybuilders that the belt was very popular, but then from 2003 on, it kind of has lost some of its popularity among weightlifting and bodybuilding. But this particular person, this article that I read by Dr. Jim Stepani, a 2018 article said that belts, three things, the reason why you should use a belt when you're lifting the weights. Belts stabilize and reduce stress on the spine. You say, Brother Bell, what in the world are you doing? That's not the Bible. No, it's not the Bible, but it helps us to understand. We can take something that's practical that people use that we're familiar with, and we can make... We can understand the Bible. We're to gird ourselves with truth. It says, uh, wherefore, let's see here, stand therefore having your loins gird about with truth. Turn with me, but we're going to go back into the article, but John, where are we at? There we go. John 18. And I refer to this in, in some of the previous messages here when we talk about the armor of God and the truth. John 18, verses 37 and 38. Pilate therefore said unto him, let's back up. Pilate, verse 35. Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that hear, or everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews, and saith unto them, I find in him no fault. And we know, we've read this, John 17, 17, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth, and then according to John chapter 1, we know that Christ is the Word. 
So Christ is the Word, the Word is truth, and He's the Word. And Pilate said, what's the truth? He was looking at the truth. The Word is truth. And we're to gird, I'm getting back to that belt, we're to gird our loins about with truth. This is that part of that armor. Before you put on anything else, you put the belt on. Your girdle on. <laughs> All right? What does, the, what does that belt in heavy weightlifting do? It stabilizes and reduces stress on the spine. It says some studies confirm that wearing a belt during weightlifting increased the intra-abdominal pressure by up to 40%. Look, we're fighting a battle. And if you want to gain strength and the ability to, to stand under pressure, he just said at the beginning of that verse, stand, therefore. And to be able to stand under the pressure, you've got to have the truth. You've got to strengthen your, your core with this girdle of truth. It'll help you to stand. Again, going back, and we've been back and forth. I told you we would be throughout this whole study. Going back to the temptation of Christ in Matthew chapter 4. When the devil come to him, what did he do? Thus saith the Lord. It is written. It is written. He used the truth against the devil. He, he stood with the truth. And therefore, that's one reason we need to, un, we need to get in our Bibles. Amen. We need to read and understand and know what's there so that when we're attacked by those uh, principalities and powers, rulers of darkness in this world and spiritual wickedness in high places, when we're attacked by that, we have, we're girded about, we can stand because we have this belt that increases our strength. So the belt will stabilize and reduce the stress on the spine. <clears throat> it actually increases the intra-abdominal, intra-abdominal pressure by up to 40%. And I won't go through the whole thing there. But then secondly, belts create better body, body biomechanics. One of the things that wear a belt does, it causes you to lift properly. When you're wearing that belt, even when lifting furniture, because <laughs> even when lifting furniture or lifting some heavy weight, it causes you to think about how you're supposed to be lifting this thing. And it will, by having this girdle on, this belt around your Loins and your loins gird up with truth, it will cause you to think about properly lifting your, your body uh, mechanics. So instead of lifting with your back, you're actually lifting with your legs where your strength is and your, your knees, you're lifting with your legs. So just having that there causes you to focus on properly lifting. So how does that apply? If we've got the truth of the Word of God... Gird about us, it keeps our posture right. It helps, it helps us to, to be um, in the right form when we go out in this world, when we go out in the battle. You can see some of these big dudes. I mean, I mean, if you want to put it this way, 
the picture of health, Atlas. They come walking in, and they're like this. <laughs> you know, their chest is all big, and their waist is all little, and their arms are all big, and their legs are all big. But you know what? You touch him, you get him, he has an injury right there. He's out of, out of commission. I don't care how big and bad he might look and how healthy he might look just walking in the door. If he gets a back injury, <laughs> he's out. You know, that back is a very important thing. That spine is a very important thing. Everybody, everybody get down in their back. <laughs> I mean, it don't, it don't take much. You just move a little wrong. You, you, lift, you lift wrong and something goes pop and you're down. You're down for the count. You can't, I knew a man, a uh, good friend of mine, he was a heavy equipment operator, uh, bulldozers and front-end loaders in the coal mines, surface, surface mining. And he, he, his back got all messed up, and he couldn't, you know, he couldn't lift up. And so he can't go to work like this, you know, all that bouncing and stuff and that. That's what did it to him. But he couldn't go to work. He's just been over. And because he couldn't go to work, he couldn't get a paycheck. And I had a chiropractor at the time. He, he just recently died at 50, 54 years old, I think. But uh, I had a chiropractor at the time, and uh, he understood that. I said, look, I've got a friend. He's down in his back. He can't work, but he, he can't. So he can't work. He can't make money, and he can't pay you. <laughs> so Doctor Cybert said, "You have him come see me." I said, "We'll we'll worry about all that money later." So I told my friend about it. And he come. Brother Doctor Seidler worked with him. Got him got him to where he could go back to work. But when he was down, he was down for the count. I mean. Big, you know, big, healthy, strong, and otherwise, but just one little vertebra or two little vertebrae out of the back, your strength is gone. And guess where that is? Right here in that loin area, that lower back. So that belt, that truth, causes you the proper form when you're lifting, proper form in your warfare. And so it stabilizes you and reduces stress and creates better body biomechanics, and belts beget better performance. <laughs> And that's where I wanted to get to. Look, if this is the truth, and we go out and we go in our fighting this battle, and this is the first thing that we put on. Amen. We gird ourselves about this. It's going it's to strengthen us, and it's going to make us perform better. Again, going back to Matthew chapter 4. Look, Christ is our example, and he said, It is written, it is written, it is written to the devil himself. And we're a lot of folks, and I think that we read this, if I can find it real quick. I think it's, it might be over here. Let's see here. I know that we have covered it. Anyway, might have been over here. Let me look real quick. But... um. When we, yeah, I see this is probably not, but we can, we can use this. And I know we dealt with them, that vein jangling and all that stuff. 
Neither give heed, 1 Timothy 1, 4, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which ministers questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and a good conscience and faith unfeigned from which some having swerved to turn aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm, but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for the sinners, for unholy and profane, for murders, for fathers of man, uh, murders and mothers of manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men sealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other, uh, other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And it talks about those silly women being just led away. Again, getting caught up in this vain jangling and this, this perverse disputings like we read there in, in chapter 6. You know, young Christians, young soldiers, get in the Word. Oh, older folks need to do that too. But get in the Word and learn so that when you get that knock on the door... And that person in the white shirt with the little tag right here that shows up, the two people that shows up say, can we come in and talk about, you know, the things of God with you? Say, nope. <laughs> but what I'm saying, you will get into these conversations. There will be people that knows just enough and just enough of the error to get you all messed up and all tangled up. They know enough truth with enough falsity. And that's one of the wiles of the devil I'd warned you about. That little bit of untruth mixed with the truth is one of the devil's tools. And he'll, he'll get you in a conversation. And unless you are grounded in the truth, unless you're girded with the truth, then you're not going to be strengthened. You'll be weak and you can fall in the battle. So gird yourself so that you can stand. Gird yourself so you can stand strong. Gird yourself so you can fight against the, the uh, disinformation <laughs> that's out there in the religious world. Uh, yeah, I forget where we was at. All right, so gird yourself with truth. We'll just leave it there. Oh, yeah, there we go. So there's where I was going. It, be, it begets better performance. There we go. So it's better performance in our Christian walk, and our Christian battle, when we gird ourselves with the truth. We know what the Word of God says, and we're able to fight. We're able to stand. All right, going back to our text, verse 14. Stand, therefore, having your loins gird about with truth. I've got other things maybe in here. Gird about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Breastplate of righteousness. One of the things that I did just out of curiosity, I looked up the, because I thought about this and I thought, you know, truth and righteousness is found in together, like hand in glove throughout the Word of God. Turn with me to 1 Kings 3. Right 
Righteousness, by definition, there's several of them here, and I know we've covered it before. Purity of heart and rectitude of life, conformity of heart and life to the divine law. So there is the righteousness of following the truth and conforming to the truth. So the first plate thing we put on is we gird our gal our loins with truth, and then we put on the breastplate over the truth. The truth covers here, and then we put the breastplate over it. Righteousness, conforming to the truth is righteousness. One another is active and passive obedience to Christ. So active and passive obedience, again, conforming to obedience to Christ, conforming to the truth is that righteousness that we're to put on. And we discussed this a few Sundays ago when I talk about man's righteousness is as filthy as rags. So we know that our righteousness comes from Christ. And then uh, the cause, another definition of righteousness is the cause of our justification, the Lord, our righteousness. So it, it, we, we know that our righteousness is nothing, is it's filthy rags, and so we know that if any kind of righteousness is going to come from the Lord, but then the other definition is doing right, following the truth. We've got the truth on, now let's follow it. <laughs> And that's that breastplate. That's what covers our heart. And again, with the heart, man believeth under righteousness. So it covers our heart, and it's that breastplate. The righteousness is Christ, and Christ's righteousness put in, uh, applied to us and instilled upon us, but it's, it's also after salvation following the truth. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5, this is when Solomon now has become king. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God asked, or God said, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy. According as he walked before thee, here it is, in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made a servant, or hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or to come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people, that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge this, thy so great a people. But I want to point out verse number 6. David, and I know Brother Tim is dealing with David in our men's Sunday night class, but David here uh, in Solomon's um, description of him, thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy according. Now this is the mercy that was shown to David came to him by how he walked. And God's mercies by this example, often comes to us by how we're walking. 
And by how we're fighting, <laughs> if you want to put it that way, by how we're walking, are we standing, if you want to go back to our text, in truth and in righteousness? Because he deals, David walked in truth, and that's the word of God. He often, and, we, and I know that Brother Tim will be bringing this out, he, and he often, unlike King Saul, David went and sought God. He come up against a situation. He said, all right, men, hang on. <laughs> I'm going to go inquire of the Lord. Amen. And he would go. And he would go before the Lord and go to God's priest and the ephod and all that we read about. And he would inquire of the Lord. Lord, should I go up? And the Lord said, go up or don't go up. And he would do what the Lord said. There was a time, and there was, and it was a, it was a trick of the devil. And I don't know if I put that in here, but I did see it. That he was. Let's see, where was it at? I seen it. I don't know if I put it in there or not. But the devil tricked him to number the people, and um, you know, there again was a while because he knew that David would face for punishment if he could. Get him to go away from what God had said. But as long as David walked in the truth, and it says, and in righteousness, that's doing the truth. He sought what God said. He listened, he read the scriptures. He, he inquired of the scriptures, he inquired of God's priest. And then he walked in. He walked in righteousness. He followed what God wanted. And David is an example here in this text of scripture. Psalm 119, talking about the Word of God. The whole psalm is devoted to the Word of God. Psalm 119. And verse 142. Psalm 119, 142. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness... And thy law is the truth. So again, the imputed righteousness of Christ upon us is an everlasting righteousness. And it says thy law is the truth. And we read just what the law, who the law was for. And it's right when it's used right. We're, under the, we're not under the law, but we still have commandments to follow here in the word of God. 2 Corinthians 6. Again, looking at... Just a few, just a handful of passages where truth and righteousness are mentioned together. 2 Corinthians 6, and let's begin reading in verse number 1. We'll read down through verse 10, 1 through 10, 2 Corinthians 6. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that, re that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted... And in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tolments, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, in pureness, by knowledge of long by, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, 
by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor, oh, he used the word armor there to the Corinthian church, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, by dying and, behold, we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. One sentence without through there. But it's really sad that, that the preachers here, the ministers of God, had to approve themselves to the church by all that list. You're talking about being examined. <laughs> but maybe we should do a whole lot more examining by all those things and lay hands on no man suddenly. But it was really sad. I mean, he had obviously a hand in starting the church. This is a second letter to the Corinthians. But he said, look, we had to prove ourselves in all this. But what, you know, again, the truth, verse number 7, the word of truth. So they listened to the preachers and they seen how that they were giving the word out. Many of these letters then became canonized as scripture that we have today. At Paul's hand, again, as he was moved by the Holy Spirit. But then, so, by the word of truth, they had to approve themselves, and by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. But the armor of righteousness, again, I think that they seen Paul and the fight that he was fighting. I have fought a good fight, he told Timothy. I have run the race. I have finished my course. The good fight of faith, he talks about. So it is a good fight to be in. It's a good battle to be in. You say, but it's a battle, but it's a good battle to be. We're on the winning side. <laughs> One person said, you know, we're talking about going back to what, what all that we, the inheritance, the heirs of God and joint heirs of Jesus Christ that we heard about this morning. He said, he said instead of, you know, lots of times people want to look at it on, uh, as a funnel. Everybody knows what a funnel looks like, and, you know, you go to Walmart. I forget what, what, uh, what they're raising money for, some children's something network, whatever. But you've just seen the thing. It's got the little slide. You put the coin in, and you, and you watch it go around and around and around and around, and it gets a little faster and faster and faster, faster, and it drops. I even like doing it. I know the kids do, especially you got two of them going. But most of the time, we think that serving God is that way. We're on this big race, and eventually we get there. No, it's the opposite. We get on the little end. <laughs> and as we, as we, as we walk or run our race, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, and there's where eternity, I mean, it just keeps getting bigger. I like what Brother Sammy Allen said. He said, he said, when we've been there 10,000 years and we think that we've seen it all and we think that we've done it all, then the Lord said, hang on a minute. Let me turn the page and show you what's up. <laughs> Woo! I mean, just eternity full of that. 
What, what, what a blessing. We're just in on the little thing. It's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But truth and righteousness, they had to prove themselves. It was kind of sad, but they had. And he used the word armor again in righteousness uh, uh, in that. Let's see where I'm at. Okay. Ephesians 5. Let's go back to Ephesians. We've been in 6 here, but Ephesians 5, Philippians, Colossians. Uh, oh, I'm too far ahead. Ephesians 5, verses 8, 9, 10, and 11. Ephesians 5, 8. For you were sometimes darkness. And we did we deal with that this morning? <laughs> For you were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Now, I dealt with the will of God in our lives. This morning in Sunday school, we dealt with the being led by the Spirit of God, that we know by Him bearing witness with our spirit that we're of God, we're His child. And here... For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. So these these pieces of armor comes from God. It comes from the Spirit that dwells within us. When when we read, according to John, when, when, when Christ said He would send the Comforter, And what would the Comforter do? He would lead us into all truth. So that's what the Spirit of God does. He leads us into truth, and the indwelling Holy Spirit helps us to walk in that truth. Walk in the Spirit. And if you walk in the Spirit of God, and He's in you, He leads you into truth, He guides you as you read, as you hear it from the preached Word of God, as you hear it taught in the Sunday school... He say, and the Spirit says, he's telling you right. You read it on your own. You say, oh, I need to be doing that. And he's saying, yes, you do. And he say, Lord, help me to do that. And he said, I will. And he will walk in the Spirit. Walk in the light. In the light of what? In, like we talked about this morning. In the light of his scriptures. As that flashlight. Lord, guide my way. Keep me from anything that will cause me to stumble. Show me the light of your word, your truth. Let me gird that about our our loins and then let me put on the breastplate of righteousness and go and do what I'm supposed to be doing. Righteousness must be our breastplate. This is Mr. Henry. The breastplate secures the vitals. Shelters the heart. The righteousness of Christ imputed to us is our breastplate against the arrows of divine wrath. The righteousness of Christ implanted in us uh, is our breastplate to fortify the heart against the attacks which Satan makes against us. And then 1 Thessalonians says, The apostle explains this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8. And I'll just read 8 through 9. But let us who are of the day, not of the darkness, remember? Who operates in the darkness? (laughs) Satan's children. Satan's emissaries. The lost. 
They're in darkness and they're going to go to outer darkness. We dealt with that this morning. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. So again, he, he not only deals with the armor in Ephesians, he mentions the armor of righteousness in Corinthians, and he deals with the breastplate here in 1 Thessalonians 5. The breastplate of faith and love and the helmet, the hope of salvation. So, as Mr. Henry again, the apostle explains in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, Faith and love include all Christian graces, for by faith we are united to Christ and by love to our brethren. These will infer a diligent observ- uh, observ- uh, these will infer a diligent observance, there we go, of our duty to God and a righteous deportment towards men in all the offices of justice, truth, and charity. All right, so again, we put this on, like he explains here, that faith and love. And that breastplate of righteousness, the breastplate of faith here in 1 Thessalonians, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, then it imputes our, the righteousness and that breastplate. It all comes from God. You know, <laughs> he gives us what we need to fight the battle. Look, hey, Brother Glenn knows, I know, we've been in the military. When we first got to... Basic training, we come in, they come in from all over the place. They're dressed all sorts of different ways. I went in to be a dofrost, which was, if I had it to do all over again. <laughs> but you had people from California that looked like Michael Jackson in the 80s. You had people from Tennessee that come and bibbed overalls. You had people from Los Angeles that was dressed in Los Angeles way. I mean, New York that was dressed like they do in New York and all sorts from the inner city to the, to the country. And they all get together and they say, oh, we're going to go down here and we're going to get you your issue. So we all go in and we line up and they start giving us our issue. They, Size us up, they give us our pants, they give us our blouses, they give us our underwear, they give us our socks, they give us our boots. And when it's all said and done, we all look the same. They give us a good haircut. We all look the same. Then, when we go out to the range, we don't have to get our own weapon. They say, well, we're going to go to the armory. You're going to go and you're going to get issued you your M16. So you go to the armory, and there's a person, he's got a little window, and he's just... All he's doing is handing out weapons to everybody. We didn't have to come up with our weapons of our warfare. They were issued to us. The same with God. Look, we're in this Christian battle. What's really interesting, he's not going to leave us alone. He's going to give us what we need. He's going to give us the truth to gird our... We 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 are to get into the truth. We're to seek the truth. We're to to do what we can with the truth in battle, like Christ, our example in Matthew 4 was. But he gives us the truth. He's preserved his word. <laughs> we, how, we've got how many copies in our house, unlike some nations? 
He's preserved the word. We've got the word. We've got the truth. He gives us the tools to use, and he puts, imputes us to his righteousness, which we're to put on as a breastplate. Through faith, like Mr. Henry pointed out there in Thessalonians, through faith we have this breastplate of righteousness, and then love is how we deal with our fellow soldiers. Look, you don't want to go to battle with somebody that you can't trust. <laughs> you don't want to sit in a foxhole with somebody that's supposed to be on watch as we look out through the darkness and we look for the enemy and we look for enemy movement and he's over there going, <laughs> wait a minute, you're supposed to have my back. You're asleep at the wheel. Don't do that. Wake up. Don't go to sleep on the watch. Fight the battle with me. And that's that breastplate of love, one with another. Hey, look, I mean, you can, you can fight a battle that way, and I think we see that example. We talked about, <laughs> in fact, when Jonathan and his armor bearer, they went in and said, now, we're looking for a sign, and God gave them a sign, and, and between the two of them, they, they killed 20 men. I don't know if it was 10 apiece, but between two of them, two Two against 20, that's a pretty good little battle. Pretty good odds. And we, we talked about the armor not giving us any, any coverage on our backside. But if you back up against somebody else that's got the same armor on and you fight this way, <laughs> and he's got your back and you got his back. He's protected from his front, you're protected from his front, and you're protecting each other's back by being back to back. And that's that breastplate of love. Hallelujah. <laughs> Look, we're in this battle together. Um, yeah, like it says there in verse 10, who died, see, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Together is the key word there. Not together with him, but then I think together this way as well. It applies. We're fighting the battle. Look, weep with them that weep, rejoice with them that rejoice. You know, we have cares. And yes, sometimes, sometimes our battle is private. Sometimes it takes that little growth of faith when he says, look, pray in secret and I'll reward you openly. That will increase your faith. Sometimes, though, it's like on Saturday night and folks standing up around here and saying, I got a special prayer request. I got a health issue. I got a relationship issue, which was discussed last night. And for, you know, it's not for us to go, and not that we did, I'm just using this as an example. It's not for us to go say it. Man. No. It's for us to take the prayer requests, whatever they are, and to pray with that person about that need. Amen. And not only pray about that need, to trust God to answer. Put faith, God, I'm bringing this to you, and I'm trusting you to do something. So, so many times, and, we, and I know I dealt with prayer when I first got here, and, and prayer is one of those ongoing things. I'm, learn, I'm still learning to pray. But prayer... One of the things, I've got a whole, probably two shelves, if I'm going to put them all on two shelves back there, books on prayer, pray, from praying men, from men that's, that 
saw their prayers answered. Brother Hanley Milby was a, was a praying man. He's a preacher from over in Buffalo, Kentucky. <laughs> He's a praying man. I mean, he's serious about things. If I called him up and say, and he's had this happen. Brother Bilby, I was praying and God, and I I feel God wants you to uh, come and have a meeting out here at Sooner Rose. He'd say, God ain't told me yet. (laughs) I mean, he believes God that way. And he had that happen. One preacher called him up and said, Brother Milby, I've been praying, and I, I feel that God would have you to come. And Brother Milby said, God ain't told me yet. He goes, but I'll pray about it. So Brother Milby went to praying. And then in time, God told Brother Milby to go. So Brother Milby's a praying man. So because he's a praying man, people knew he's a praying man. They encouraged him. Brother Milby wrote that one little book on wolves. Brother Milby. You need to write a book on prayer. <laughs> I'll pray about it. Brother Milby, you know, you, I, you, you, you really help people out if you wrote a book on prayer. And he just put it off and put it off and put it off. And he finally, he said, and he told that story from the pulpit. He said, finally, God gave me, God gave me um, direction on writing that book on prayer. He said, but it's just two words. Do it. <laughs> Just so many people don't pray, and then when they do, they don't have faith that God will hear their prayer. We read that this morning. I mean, I don't know that Gallup poll said that, but how many of us, number one, believe that there's a God that will hear us? Number two, that He's a God that can answer us, but here's the one that they didn't deal with. And one that I still sometimes have hiccups with, but I want to get a full grasp on it, is that God will, will. And you say, Brother Bell, what are you talking about? And when I, I'm just, I'm just silly enough, I'm just ignorant, I'm just simple, that's a word, I am simple enough, we are to, to look with that childlike faith. If I put, if I put, dude man, if I, if I put Tyler up here, if I asked Tyler for assistance and I got him and brought him up and did something that his mom and daddy would get on him for by putting him up here <laughs> to stand on the, on the communion table and I simply said, all right, Tyler, jump to me. You know what he'd probably do? Just jump. Because he figures I'm probably big enough to catch him. I'm there in his presence. I probably have the ability. And hopefully he knows I love him enough to, to go ahead and catch him. And I go, like Lucy in the football with Charlie Brown. <laughs> Charlie Brown, I'll hold it for you. I really will hold it all the way this time. And he gets right up to the... When Lucy pulls it. And that ain't what we're talking about. We put our faith in God that he hears us. We put our faith in God that he's got the ability, but we put our faith in God like that childlike faith that he will perform. Again, if we're not praying to miss, we're not praying it against for our own lust, you know, to consume it upon our own lust because I read and I'm simple enough to believe 
John chapter 14, verse 13. When it says, Christ's words, and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do. Again, not that your lust will be satisfied. Not that you will be glorified for how how big of a prayer warrior you are. You know, the the prayer warriors that get some business done are ones that you probably never even heard about. These people that go in and and you, you get them great big old churches... You know, and and they read the pa- but got this visiting preacher, doctor. Of course, they're going to use that word, doctor, bottle stopper, and and they start reading his pedigree, and then they start pumping him up. You know, he's just a super duper prayer warrior, and he spends X amount of time in prayer. And I'd say that that little widow, saint of God. Sitting back in that congregation that really does pray, pray and really does get a hold of God, that doesn't tout anything about breaking recognition to herself or him, or widower himself. They're going to stand far in front of the line from Doctor Bottle Stopper if he even if he even makes it, because they believe God and they believe John fourteen thirteen. That whatsoever uh, ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. The Father, it's, it's the Son's name that we pray in. We lots of times end our prayer in Jesus' name. Lots of times I start my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Heavenly Father, in, based on that scripture, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name I bow before you. Because of John 14, 13, you said if I ask anything in his name, that you'll give it to me. And just trust that scripture. Verse 14, if ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. But remember, going back to 2 Corinthians there. No, going back to 1 Kings. Solomon talked about David. He walked in truth and righteousness, and that righteousness is doing the truth. If ye love me, <laughs> keep my commandments. But at the same time, look, there's a, that's a truth. And if we can just get a hold of that. Let me go ahead and throw this in. I, I, got, I got burdened with this. I'm done. I got burdened with this this morning. Brother Glenn, I'm sure Brother Tim, and probably even, I know, Sister Sue and Sister Debbie back there, maybe Miss Linda, been in churches and remember. Brother Glenn talks about the Spirit of God coming on the lost. And there was a day and a time, I grew up in the 70s, and it was this way long before it started to wane in the 70s. But I remember growing up, <clears throat> we'd have a, a meeting. Lots of times there was prayer 
before a meeting. The men would gather, sometimes out, sometimes alone, sometimes down in the basement of the church, whatever. And you didn't have to call for it. it just, they just slipped and did it. Charles Spurgeon attributes his success in the pulpit. He'll tell you, he, he told it in, he, people ask, he said, I attribute it to my success in the pulpit because right uh, literally underneath his pulpit in the basement of the church was a boiler room. And while he was preaching, every message that he preached, there were men underneath him praying for him. And the prayers of the saints was going up around him to heaven while he was preaching. But where I was getting to, we remember services when there's lost sitting in the congregation and we know they're lost. Every service. They're lost and every service. It wasn't until they moved, until they got saved, the saints of God filled filled the altar. To pray for the lows that were in there that was lost. And I know, I know there's time when I, when I, lots of times I'll go and I'll take this off and I pray. I'm praying for the invitation. Sometimes I get down there praying for me. When I've busted my hide, the Holy Spirit has dealt with me. But lots of times I'm praying for lost to move. And I know there's been times others, but if, if we, until, and I can name the names, until they moved, if they seen every single time that they're here, the, the altars fill up, calling out their names before God. God, please fall upon them in conviction. God, please help them to have the faith to believe. God, please let them move at thy bidding. I think that that would be a turning point in their lives. And not just their lives, others that come in that's lost, and we know that they're lost. But I used to see it, especially in revival meetings. I used to see it just in regular old church, Sunday morning, Sunday night. People would get hit the altar and would weep over the lows that was lost there in the service. And then, of course, <laughs> it kind of makes, <laughs> kind of puts it on them a little bit when, when they look around, they're standing there. They look around and ain't nobody out here. <laughs> they're all up here. Hmm, wonder what's going on there. And you're praying, you're calling their names out. They look and say, "What's well, that's different. I've never seen that before. What are they praying for? Lord, help us. Help us to pray for them. Like 13 and 14, that you will, that you hear me when I pray in Jesus' name, that you will answer me when, and that you might get the glory. You think that they will get, that God would get the glory if they got saved? Sure he would. There's rejoicing in heaven. It's not the angels that's rejoicing. <laughs> angels are looking. It doesn't say that the angels are rejoicing. It just said there's rejoicing in heaven. Nope, where are we at? Yeah. There we go. 
I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. A lot of people say the angels are rejoicing in heaven. It doesn't say that. It says that joy shall be in heaven. You think the Father's joyful? Sure he is. You think Christ is joyful? Absolutely. You think that's the will of God? I come to save sinners. It is his will to save sinners. And if we pray and believe in, Lord help us. Not only on Sunday, not only Monday through Friday, Saturday, not Wednesday night and Saturday night, but on Sunday. While they're here, get a burden for them. Pray for them. And we might see some things done. Pray that childlike faith. God, please help us. In Jesus' name, that you might get glory. I pray that way. In Jesus' name, that you may be glorified. Here's my request before God. Help us now. So, what's really sad is, I'm telling you about the devil. I'm telling you about how to protect against these warfare. And guess what Monday's going to hold? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Expect, Expect the battles. I'm just telling you. He doesn't like us knowing his wiles and he doesn't like knowing how to how how you know that we're hopefully going to be spiritual warriors battling on our knees for the souls of men help us now all right so i think i'll have a song of invitation Don't let those little things creep in. I've already already seen some potential avenues that the devil could use, and I'm praying. (laughs) Since camp and since I've been preaching, please put up your guard. Gird yourself. There's your first two pieces. Gird yourself with the truth. Put on that breastplate of righteousness. Just like the U.S. military gives us our equipment, God will give you your equipment. But you are going to have to put it on. He can, look, if this lays in the back window of your car all week long, is that putting it on? No. You got to take the truth and you got to wear it to strengthen you and to help you walk right. Breastplate of righteousness. We talked about that being faith and love there in 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, of the Thessalonians. That breastplate, again, against the forward battle that's coming your way. And to take that stand. Come, God, I'm going to stand on the truth. I'm going to, by your grace and help, I'm going to gird myself. I'm going to put these pieces of armor on that I might be a warrior for you. For the souls of men. If we can get that attitude, I think we see some things happen around here. Lord help us. But if we start if we say, okay, Lord, I'm gonna get in the race, I'm gonna get in the battle, 
Give me my issue. I'm going to go. <laughs> Expect a battle. David said, I'm gonna, I'll stand, I'll go, I'll fight. It was a pretty good-sized fight, but God gave him what he needed. He was able, to, with that stone, to hit, David, hit Goliath right between the eyes. Goliath fell forward, and with Goliath's own sword, he cut Goliath's head off and carried it up to Saul. And then as his spoil, he got to keep Goliath's... <laughs> Armor. Did it ever fit David? No. Did it ever come in handy again? Yes. David used Goliath's sword at another time, at another place, for another battle. No sword like that sword. There's no sword like this sword, too, when we get to there. Truth. And that's the message today.